Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 64 of the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and... <laughs> sorry, sorry, um, excuse me. Oh, just one minute, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm... <clears throat> I'm Tina Duyeb, and like startled Griffin, and currently, but for who knows how long, Prime Minister Theresa May, I too think the UK needs certainty, which is why I'm very pleased she's made certain everyone in the UK thinks she's a useless idiot who wasted £143 million on an election entirely because of her own overblown hubris. <laughs> I am going to hold my hand up and say, despite everything I've said on this podcast so far, on 64 episodes of this podcast, I was wrong. And actually, Theresa May, you know what? You were completely right. Holding a snap general election was actually a great idea. If nothing else, you temporarily made the entire country laugh an awful lot at your expense, and that may well be the Conservatives' first ever contribution to bettering people's mental health. Yes, the Conservatives did win the election, but in the sort of Pyrrhic victory that means the long-dead corpse of King Pyrrhus of Epirus is thinking, thank fuck, maybe they'll call it Mayest victory from now on. It seems that along with putting overconfident leaders in their place, the only other thing you can do to really make sure the British people turn up to fight is give them a target. May for weeks said if she lost only six seats, it'd be Jeremy Corbyn doing EU negotiations, and the British public went, six, we can easily beat that, mate. The Conservatives lost 13 seats, which now gives them 318 overall, making them the biggest party, but nowhere near big enough to form a government all by themselves, or really have a mandate for the hard Brexit they wanted to deliver. So, instead of giving May a stronger hand this snap election, it meant that she's been made to wear mittens to cover up several painful hangnails. Meanwhile, Labour exceeded the expectations of everyone who doesn't like young people, increasing their seats from 232 to 262, instead of all the losses they were meant to have. For over a year, the internet has been awash with jokes about Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn looking like Obi-Wan Kenobi, yet after months and months of being struck down, he came back stronger than anyone could possibly imagine, and by similarly seeming to appear in the visions of young hopefuls seeking to take down the Empire as well. 
Labour even took areas like Canterbury for the first time since 1919, proving that the political landscape is so awry even Kent is now unpredictable. And Kensington, which Labour won by only 20 votes. Ugh, bloody metropolitan liberal elite Kensington, eh? I mean, what next? Harrods to become a co-op? So, Labour lost, but when they were predicted to disappear up the negative bumhole of the Parliamentary Labour Party, they instead pulled the ultimate hustle by being all positive and actually appealing to people with their manifesto. I bet Jeremy Corbyn plays poker by just telling everyone what he's got in his hands, saying it'll help out those in need. Only for very few of the others to trust the transparency and then fold out of caution. It's almost as though people were sick of negative campaigns with no substance or something. Ugh, weird. The Conservatives made gains in Scotland, as did Labour, meaning the SNP are still the biggest party there, but now without a majority to secure another indie ref. It turns out for many Scottish people, the idea of independence is only fun if you have someone to share it with. UKIP gained absolutely nothing and have now become a minority group, which will be quite hard for them to cope with, considering. UKIP leader and chicken nugget brought to life through evil magic, Paul Nuttall, decided to resign, probably to spend more time on those careers he's told everyone about that he has as an astronaut or top ballerina, probably. Melted scrotum Nigel Farage has threatened a political comeback, which is hard as sadly he's never really gone away, and no one looks forward to the quiet squelch he'll make as an unelected non-leader of a completely defunct party. As for the government, well, after months and months of warning that a vote for Labour would be a vote for a coalition of chaos, it looks like the Conservatives will form some sort of agreement with the Northern Irish Democratic Unionist Party, the political equivalent of the Spanish Inquisition. The DUP are very socially conservative, meaning they really don't have many friends. No, actually it means they're against gay marriage, abortions, climate change or generally just being in the current day and age, which again means really they don't have many friends. Ideally, if time machines were invented, the DUP would probably scrap all their policies in order to insist on returning everyone to Circa whenever the fuck Noah's art was. Though, of course, time machines would be pretty futuristic, which may cause quite a lot of issues. There are also DUP connections with loyalist paramilitary groups in Northern Ireland, and this whole collaboration could shit all over the Good Friday Agreement. So, the Conservatives warning of a coalition of chaos if you voted against them, and then providing one now that people have, feels a lot like when your parents told you you wouldn't get what you wanted for Christmas, and then they did get it for you, only it's a knock shit version. It's all a Lepin Brock's Moni figures set on a major scale. Despite calls for Theresa May to resign, it doesn't look like she will, because she's obviously one of those enemies of the public we keep hearing about who wants to ignore the will of the people. It's probably partly also because no one really wants to inherit the mess she's created, fairly certain that any new leader would arrive to find a note at number 10 saying, there's no dignity left. She told the Conservative 1922 committee, so-called, as that's when all their policies are from, that I got us into this mess, so I'll get us out. Which does make me wonder if, in a week's time, she'll announce, to get us out of this mess, I need a stronger mandate, so I'm going to call a snap election. She did also tell the 1922 committee that she felt sorry for all those Conservative MPs that lost their seats, as some of them are in dire financial situations. I do hope that the aid she gives them means that there's just two-week grace before they get their benefits sanctioned. There were rumours that Foreign Secretary and cloud pig Boris Johnson would make a leadership bid, which is a really terrifying thought. Though, on the plus side, while Brexit negotiations with May at the helm could last weeks and end negatively, if Boris did them, he'd likely make a xenophobic comment about goose-stepping or Napoleon and be chucked out with Brexit called off in just minutes. Boris has explicitly said that he is backing Theresa May, though, judging by his record, that could just be into his own readily sharpened knife. May's speech the morning after the vote said that she would lead a government that promotes fairness and equality, before then announcing that they would work with the DUP, proving that she's now so adept at U-turning she can do it mid-sentence. May has kept a lot of cabinet members in their positions because if it is broke, why not keep hitting it with a hammer until people don't remember how it looked beforehand? And Michael Gove has also returned to the cabinet because like a yeast infection, if you don't deal with it properly, it will come back. 
Gove is the new environment minister, which makes sense as he's usually responsible for upsetting changes to the climate. It also looks like a lot of the Conservatives' manifesto is going to be watered down, which is hard, as it was piss weak to begin with, and this essentially means both left and right-wing voters now will be equally unhappy with the results. The DUB haven't formally agreed anything at the time of the recording, though this alliance would make sense as Arlene Foster also faced calls to resign after the completely ill-thought-through Cash for Ash scandal in Northern Ireland. So her and May would finally mean two wrongs to in fact make her pretty far right. The Queen's speech was meant to take place next Monday, but it has been delayed by several days, probably on account of Her Majesty not being able to read through the current script without corpsing with laughter every few sentences. Opinion polls now have Labour way above the Conservatives, and Labour say they're ready if another election happens. Great! Who's up for this new biannual tradition of elections? We can make it our new British thing and even export a couple, helping bolster whatever sort of Brexit we have by 2019 by the time we've elected our fourth government in two years, now compromising of Lord Buckethead, six people from the Animal Welfare Party and the only people who turned up to the polling station that day. Meanwhile, in other arrogant, unwanted leaders who have no idea what they're doing news, President of America Donald Trump, a.k.a. Whiny the Poop, has said he won't visit the UK until the British public are supportive of him. So, that'll be never then. Uh, If only he applied that criterion to the rest of the world and the US, and then he'd end up spending just a lot of time walking around in a tiny circle in Mar-a-Lago. Former head of the FBI, James Comey, testified last week that Trump did put pressure on him to drop the investigation into his connections with Russia, to which Trump responded by calling him a leaker. Judging by the prostrate medication Trump's doctor prescribes him, that should mean that Trump actually has more in common with Comey than he thought. Oh, and in France, Macron looks set to gain between 390 to 445 of the possible 577 seats in French Parliament with his party that didn't even exist a year ago. Because, garçon et fille, that is how you do strong and stable. Mike, goddamn drop. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just remembered the results again. <laughs> oh, oh, God, it is so amazing. Um, hello, you. Uh, welcome to the first podcast post of this new government, which is a phrase I may well be saying every week for the next few years now. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. And a big, big thanks to all of you who came along to the live Partly Political gig on election night last week. It was a, a truly special night. All the acts uh, were amazing. We had uh, Chris Coltrane, Grania Maguire, Bilal Zafar, Marcus Brigstock, Mitch Ben, Bishop K, Ali, Joe Wells, Josie Long, and Johnny and the Baptist. It was probably amazing. Oh, and Beck Hill with her one-liner. Um, and the whole night was made even more special uh, by the uplift that the crowd got when Will, who's Johnny and the Baptist manager, got on stage and read us all the exit polls. Um, I'm going to pop the audio clip of it on the end of this week's show for your enjoyment. It was properly great. Um, I then drank horrendous amounts, popped along to the Simple Politics all-night election party, drank even more there, laughing quite a lot, and then spent Friday laughing even more at the news and then having to stop because it kept making me feel sick. Win! I mean, obviously, even though it was a lose, but it was a win nonetheless. And I mean, as someone who's not really had an election go the way I'd wanted them to for quite some time, this was very much the closest I've got to a win and therefore I'm taking it as one. Anyway, uh, if you enjoyed the live gig, please let me know. And if you think I should try and do more, God knows, I mean, there might be 12 more elections by the end of the year, then do get in touch via all the usual places like the at Bro on Twitter, uh, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Similarly, with your thoughts on what you'd like to hear on this show on the coming weeks, uh, let me know. I mean, I've got a feeling every episode I don't bring out for a while is going to be out of date before it gets to you. So should I be looking at more worldly issues, general topics, or, you know, just favourite ways of stoning people if the DUP really? do get much of a say in future weeks 
do let me know. Personally, I'd go for pebbles because, uh, you know, you could fit quite a lot of them in a bag. Anyway, thanks to Leo for donating to the Kofi last week. That was much appreciated. And don't forget, if you enjoy this weekly attempt to make the incoherent slightly more coherent, then please do either donate monthly at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or a one-off donation at Kofi. That's ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro page. And if you can't do either of those, then please do spread the word. Tell other people to tune in, subscribe and like. And do give the show a review on iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, drop it in during your favourite game of Chinese Whispers. A game that I'm pretty sure should be called something else nowadays. You know, like Russian Whispers or US Intelligence Whispers. Anyway, throw it in the beginning of that game. Uh, you can just quickly whisper a tasty review so that someone at the end of the circle ends up shouting Portly Particle Broadstairs is a group pod racer or something like that. I mean, it'll do. Uh, quick plug for some live stuff before we crack on. Uh, I'm doing an Edinburgh preview at the Phoenix in Cavendish Square, where the election night gig was, and that's on Sunday the 18th of June with the brilliant Beck Hill. It's right by Oxford Circus. Uh, tickets are only six quid, and you can grab them at phoenixcavendishsquare.co.uk. Uh, I'm also doing a preview in Whitstable this Thursday in a place called 12 Taps, which I think only fits about 20 people. So if you're in that area, please do come along. Uh, I'm on with the brilliant Archie Maddox, who's a very funny man. Uh, next week, there are two, there are the final two stand up for refugees shows uh, which have Adam Hills headlining on one at Hartford Theatre on June the 20th and Dara O'Brien and Mark Steele at our show at the Brighton Dome on June the 21st there are still somehow tickets left for both of those I've no idea how so please head to those theatres websites and grab them if you can oh and lastly uh, due to monumental fuck ups uh, if any of you are going to the Edinburgh Fringe my Edinburgh Fringe show venue has changed yes after the programme was printed that's handy thanks very much um, it was at the Liquid Room Annex at 2.30pm every day but it's now at the Waverley Bar at 2 30pm every day, which apparently is much easier to find as a venue anyway, and also sounds like it might be all wobbly before you even drink in it, so that's quite nice. Right, proper stuff. This week's show uh, has no guest because, let's face it, no one has a clue what's going on, um, so I thought instead uh, let's just do a bit of a catch-up, a bit of a where are we now episode. I mean, I'm in the little spare room in my flat uh, recording. No, uh, but you know what I mean. Where are we all now? Anyway, so look, it's a long podcast of me talking. I'm going to look at the results. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of a key to the latest kingmakers, the DUP, even though they only believe in one true king. Uh, also, what on earth is going to happen with Brexit now? Uh, all of which, of course, is going to be completely irrelevant within about two minutes of me posting this onto Acast. But hey, why not choose to use this show as a sort of sanity stick whereby you can watch the news going, how has this fallen apart? I'm sure we had no indication this would happen anywhere and then you can listen back to an episode of Partly Political and think, no we didn't, it's okay, everyone is confused, especially Tiernan. Right, so where to start this week? Well, how about with... What? <laughs> well, uh, first, let's look at the figures. That's right, I've got a bulky but sexy one and you're looking sleek as fuck. Sorry, uh, sorry I mean election figures. The Conservatives got 42.4% of the vote, which is their highest vote share since 1983 and five points up from 2015. Also, with such narrow wins for other parties in some areas, they could have gained a working majority in the House of Commons with just 75 more votes. Which makes you realise just how important your vote is, and also that we really need to keep a close eye on those 75 and warn them that if they even think about changing their minds next time, they're going to get one hell of a smackdown. Yeah, I mean you, Barbara, I'm talking directly to you. Labour almost got a bigger share of the vote at 40% than Blair did in 2001 at 41% and they got a 10 point lead on their 2015 result which is probably just because this time they didn't have any mugs with immigration policies on. 
Of course, vote share is of votes overall, which is why, as we don't have proportional representation, it doesn't always equate to more seats. Labour only got 2.4% less votes than the Tories, but 56 fewer seats. On the plus side, not having proportional representation means UKIP have completely died, so, you know, hey-ho, swings and roundabouts. But the reasons for these Labour gains and the Tory losses are many and varied, with probably one of the most important reasons being what's now called the youth quake, which sounds quite a lot like what happens when a lot of teenagers stand too near to a speaker during a dubstep gig. But actually, it's the effect that happens when young people actually turn out to vote and actually do it. The youth vote for under 35s was up 12 points since 2015, and over two-thirds of them voted Labour because they still have a future, you know, unlike Conservative oldies who know they're going to die soon, so why not just make things shit for everyone else because fuck them for being able to get into their genes. Also, take into account that UKIP's vote dropped by 10.8 points from 2015 because it turns out you can have a protest vote that is racist and ill-informed if you really like. Then there's the fact that the Lib Dems made a few gains but also a few losses, including Sarah Olney, who was beaten by Zach Goldsmith in Richmond because of 45 votes, some of which must have been dogs who snuck in a vote under a pseudonym, incensed by the whistle of Goldsmith's views during his mayoral campaign. Seriously, we should go check. I bet at least one of those votes will be like by Woofy Barkington or something. Then Nick Clegg lost his seat in Sheffield Hammond to Labour's Jared O'Mara, the first time the seat has been Labour since it was created in 1885. It's nice to think Clegg gave everyone the parting gift of a free lesson on what happens when you fuck over students. Overall, the Lib Dems lost 0.5% of their vote share, and the SNP lost several seats and vote share too, and you can start to see that pretty much everyone in the UK decided that really this election was a two-horse race, between someone who'd probably use their horse to hunt foxes with, and someone who'd probably give their horse its own equal share of land and encourage it to start a small business selling peanuts. And no one predicted this at all. Well, I say no one, quite a lot of people did, but no one in the media, no one in the political commentary. Right, except for YouGov and Salvation Polls, who both took into account the possibility of young people voting, but the rest of them didn't take that possibility into account, and the general tabloid bullshit buzz was far too cynical, assuming that Labour's left-wing manifesto wouldn't ring true with people, what with all the positivity and progressive nature to it. I mean, we're a country that watches dancing children get slagged off on Britain's Got Talent, so why on earth would anyone want something nice for once? But also, predicting the vote of young people is quite hard, with young people rarely in for door knocking as they're too busy being out and about knocking each other, and that means that they usually miss phone surveys as well. Labour's manifesto contained stuff people actually liked in it, and Corbyn's campaign was actually pretty strong through the seven weeks, despite the odd need for an iPad. And while it's been echoed a lot, and it's impossible to really tell, who knows what Labour's result would have been if they'd not had such vicious press attacks for the past year and a half. It could have been much greater. At the same time, who knows what Labour's results would have been if they'd presented themselves how they did in the campaign way before the campaign. But then again, that may not have led to an election, and then, hey, until we invent some sort of device that lets us delve into a parallel universe possibility we'll just never ever know. And when we do invent something like that, I'll be honest, I'm going to spend most of the time seeing if evil me doesn't have a beard. Because normally they do, but I've, I've got... Wait, you, get, you get what I mean. But you have to wonder if people are paying much attention at all to print media anymore. And if social media is now far, far more important, which I think it is. And also, does this mean that Rupert Murdoch will finally just destroy all of his empire in order to start his megalomaniac plans to block out the actual sun instead? Who knows? It's also clear that Scotland has less of an appetite for independence than they had before, and it's quite likely Ruth Davidson, leader of the Scottish Conservatives, and her slightly softer brand of, hey, I'd almost hang out with them, but not without an excuse plan so I can leave early Tory, won people over. 
What also looks like it was a big decider was that the Conservatives' manifesto was so poorly constructed. It attacked their usual target demographic of the older vote with the dementia tax, it vowed to bring back fox hunting, which is never publicly popular, and they didn't bother to cost anything because who needs a magic money tree when you have billionaire donors who can pull money out of their arse whenever needed? May's lack of TV appearances and constant repetition of the same shitty taglines made everyone realise that she was not so much leadership material as that of a faulty lifeboat. And after years and years of everyone accusing each other of project fear and finger-pointing, perhaps, just perhaps, everyone was really sick of a campaign that didn't say, hey, we'll do this, but instead say, hey, they won't do that. There's only so long you can point a finger of blame before people look at the arm attached to it and realise it comes directly from an arsehole like a terrible Dr Frankenstein early project. On the positive side, there are now more than 200 female MPs and more BME MPs, LGBT MPs and MPs with disabilities than ever before. And still, no UKIP MPs. See? Have that! I mean, I often feel like this country's going backwards together, but right there is proof that we're not. I mean, I thought about writing a joke there, but I just I want you to revel in that. Go on, think about it. Just enjoy. Ah, it's really nice, isn't it? Right, enough of that. The big question is... Well, firstly, the first PMQs should be brilliant fun. I mean, it'll be like that Have I Got News For You after Angus Deaton got caught doing coke with prostitutes. I mean, the only difference is Deaton turned up to that uh, Have I Got News For You. There's every chance May will just send Amber Rudd to do PMQs instead. That's if May is even still Prime Minister by then, which, and I'll take this gamble, I think she will be. Firstly, because she's too stubborn to resign, even after the past few days, but also because, seriously, I mean, who would want to take over? Imagine trying to instil confidence in a public with Prime Minister Boris Johnson when they're already concerned about Brexit negotiations and a DUP coalition. That's like saying to a goat herder, hey, I know you're concerned about the safety of your flock, but that's okay. I've got this troll to watch over them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A surveyion poll from the Mail on Sunday, whose election predictions were pretty spot on, shows that actually any Theresa May replacement would make the Conservatives even less popular than they are already, with Michael Gove topping the poll of most least favourites because no one wants to be led by a wobbly head toy of a slapped ass. Most polls are now either showing voting intentions to be neck and neck for Labour and Conservatives or for Labour to be ahead, which, while that definitely changes my mind about how soon we need another election, I think, if anything, it's going to put the Conservatives off. 
But if May stays, after a loss like that, she's not going to have a lot of power in dealing with her own party. Apparently her campaign was run with a very, very small team, keeping many of the rest of the party in the dark like posh potatoes. This is part of the reason her reputedly abusive advisers Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill quit, with many pictures shown of them walking away from Downing Street looking like a brother-sister folk band who mainly sing about fucking each other. They'd been blamed for having too much power over May, bringing in things like the dementia tax, and according to May's former director of communications, they were really toxic, but not in a cool Britney Spears way. Yes, I said cool Britney Spears way because I'm that old. Thing is, though, May is still responsible for doing her own things as well, and getting rid of the advisors doesn't mean it's any less her fault. Well, unless they altered her programming so she wasn't able to do otherwise. Theresa May's cabinet reshuffle left most of the top team where they are, including Hammond as least interest-raising chancellor in more ways than one, Johnson as the idea of doing a sensible job to him as completely foreign secretary, Fallon as overly defensive secretary, Rudd as in not in my home secretary, and Jeremy Hunt as health minister because if you want to keep doctors away, he's ten times more efficient than an apple a day. Then, disgrace Liam Fox the disgrace has stayed as whatever it is he doesn't do anyway, and David Davis is still in charge of not having a fucking clue about Brexit. In addition, David Gork has been given the post of Secretary of State for Work and Pensions because with his record of voting against any sort of benefit rises and lots and lots of benefit cuts, a surname that sounds like retching seems appropriate. Andrea Ledsom is leader of the house because as a mother she's led infantile humans around a house before, plus she can add it to her CV under Prime Minister. Then there's Damien Green, who's Theresa May's pal from uni and now Secretary of the fucking State of Things. David Lidlington, who's now in charge of justice and much like his predecessor Liz Truss, seems to know barely anything even about Cole's law. And also Michael fucking Gove, who's Environment Secretary because everyone's still had enough of experts. Gove tried to ban climate change information from the education curriculum when he was Education Secretary and he keeps voting to sell off the forests. I swear every Conservative Party reshuffle is like a game of who would be worst for this. If they had a post for Secretary of Driving Safely, they'd probably give it to Richard Hammond. If they had a Secretary of Elderly Care, they'd probably give it to the corpse of Harold Shipman. If they had a Secretary of being anything other than a fucking lump of useless, they'd probably move Boris Johnson to do that instead. Theresa May has also given the job of Chief of Staff to former MP Gavin Barwell, a man who easily has the most punchable face in the UK and who lost his seat last week because, you know, hey, the Conservatives just hate to reward failure. By keeping people in their posts, by getting Gove back in, it's all to keep people on side. But it sounds like the Scottish Conservatives may well break off and become their own faction of the party while staying allied with the Conservatives, and that's partly due to their disagreements with Brexit and partly due to possible DUP alliances. Then many of May's party are unhappy with her and may rebel during certain party votes. Then, of course, they don't have a majority anyway, so it'd be really easy for almost anything the Conservatives put forward over however long to be blocked every time, making May much less strong and stable and a lot more sitting and duck. This may also explain why they might be rowing back on some of the harsher elements of the manifesto, meaning that the people that voted for them won't get what they want, and the people who didn't vote for them will get less of what they want and didn't, and ultimately Theresa May should really rewrite how to lose friends and alienate people. Though to be fair, I'm still not sure she'd be as unpopular as the book's real author Toby Young. But I mean, really. You just imagine trying to repeal the fox hunting ban to a House of Commons that sees taking you down as a blood sport. No, I mean, to be fair, I'd quite like to see that. A number of commentators today were boo-hooing about how they feel sorry for Theresa May because, do you know what, she's had a tough week. No, she did it to herself. If an endangered animal species was only in trouble because it decided it was better than all the other animals challenged them to a duel and they got fucked up by a lion, I'd think, nah, mate, your time's done. Get out. Also, Theresa May hasn't had that tough a week. She didn't get what she wanted, and even though she thought she deserved it. Essentially, she just finally understood what it's like to be a member of the UK public for once. Oh, and I realise that while I've mentioned them a lot, 
I haven't yet explained about. You heard a DUP? You heard a DUP? You heard a DUP? You heard a DUP? You might remember back in episode 45, I spoke to Matt Fulton at Progressive Politics Northern Ireland, who explained all about the Cash for Ash scandal. You don't, you don't remember that? Hey, well look, listen, go skedaddle all the way back and have a listen. Go on, go on. I'll, no, I'll wait. Don't worry. Go on. I'll wait. Waiting music. Waiting music. Oh, back already. Oh, that was quick. Right. So now you know. Arlene Foster essentially gave a ton of money to people to heat empty homes and buildings. Then was called to stand down, but didn't. And then the late Martin McGuinness for Sinn Fein was second minister, and he stood down because the Good Friday Agreement says the first minister can't exist without the second. And Arlene Foster was the first minister, and that led to assembly elections, which resulted with no power sharing agreement. And then they needed to do other elections but the snap election got in the way and so they were postponed and now we're here well to summarize the dup they are a right-wing unionist party in northern ireland they were formed by reverend ian paisley who was generally known for speaking in ever louder and louder tones until it was just a wall of noise emanating from his mouth remember him The DUP are the main opposition to Sinn Féin, and they seek union with the UK against Sinn Féin's calls for a united island. They are super, super proddy. They're like mega-Protestant. They're like super-religio. They hate the idea of gay marriage because they think it's not natural, even though they probably use computers, shoes and cars, all of which are not natural, and really the whole idea of marriage for anyone isn't natural because when do you ever see it happening in nature with two monkeys exchanging rings and walking down an aisle, you out-of-date twats? Anyway... They're also anti-abortion because, hey, why should any unborn child get a free pass to avoid their shitty policies? And they're creationists, which means they don't believe in dinosaurs, and that may make it pretty difficult to work with most of the Conservative backbenchers or Lords. Also, the DUP won't work on Sundays, which I guess means at least we'll never have to see them on the Marshow. There are other issues that, after months and months of accusing Corbyn of having dealings with Sinn Féin whilst they had links with the IRA, the DUP still have links to the Ulster Volunteer Force and the Ulster Defence Association, which are paramilitary groups responsible for the murder of many during the Troubles, and who only recently were responsible for two deaths due to internal feuds. These groups have publicly endorsed three DUP candidates, and while the head of the DUP, Arlene Foster, has called for all paramilitary to disband, there still appear to be several links between her party and those groups, which isn't a great look for the Conservatives when they pretend they're all about security. That's not to say that governments haven't tried to form an alliance with the DUP before. Gordon Brown tried to broker a deal with them in 2010 when there was a hung parliament vote and really this current government have little choice. They need at least 326 seats for a proper majority or 323 if you count the fact that Sinn Féin will never take theirs and Lib Dems are not going to fall for that shit again. SNP and Labour would never join the Conservatives and that leaves only the DUP with enough seats. And really you just sort of wonder why don't they don't not do any of this and just get a few of their MPs to lie across a few seats all at once the government said that they had a deal with the DUP Uh, the DUP said they didn't yet and then the government had to retract what they said about having a deal with DUP because that is exactly the sort of people that we want in charge of Brexit negotiations hey we've got everything we wanted oh no wait sorry we've we've got nothing got it wrong but if they do sort a deal out then the DUP are going to want things in exchange for supporting the government in forming a majority Based on a document the DUP made in 2015 with demands of a Conservative government uh, of a possibly hung parliament then, it seems that they mostly wanted tougher immigration laws, better treatment of soldiers, scrapping of the bedroom tax and more funding for infrastructure in Northern Ireland. Yeah, quite a mixed bag of left and right wing wants. I bet their Tinder profile says, likes GSOH, but will stab you to death if you laugh. 
The DUP are very pro-Brexit, but they want a soft border with the Republic of Ireland, which doesn't mean it's a border made of marshmallow and it's quite hard to cross without getting all sticky. What it does mean is the DUP may put a big orange spanner in any possibility of a hard Brexit where we leave the customs union. Plus, what will they call themselves if they join with the Conservatives? The Condupes? That isn't great PR. The Duns? The Coups? And all of that, of course, then poses the question of... But what does this mean Well, who knows? Uh, Jerry Adams from Sinn Féin has already said that DUP having a collaboration with Parliament means that they've broken the Good Friday Agreement. And that agreement says everyone has to watch that film with Bob Hoskins and Helen Mirren at least twice a year. No, wait, sorry. It means that peace is agreed on the basis of a power-sharing agreement between Northern Ireland's political parties in the Assembly and an internal agreement with the British and Irish governments and is approved by all parties. This is why appropriately titled MP James Brokenshire is the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and he negotiates between British Parliament and Northern Irish MPs on UK issues as a supposed impartial peace broker while the Assembly members with a power sharing agreement work on devolved issues which in the case of a creationist DUP is I guess everything I suppose isn't everything devolved? But with the Assembly elections still to happen, having the DUP work with the government might be giving them a power advantage that breaks this agreement. The DUP have argued that if it does, then Gerry Adams and other members of Sinn Féin shouldn't have seats in the Irish Parliament either, as surely that breaks it as well. But as Ireland is a separate country to Northern Ireland, but Northern Ireland is part of the UK, there's all sorts of issues. And all in all, this is making things more tense than someone from Northern Ireland talking about Wimbledon. Last week's elections completely wiped out the smaller Irish Nationalist Party, the Social Democratic and Labour Party, and the smaller Unionist Party, the Ulster Unionist Party. So unfortunately for a two-state country, it's becoming even more two-state in terms of politics. The Irish Taoiseach Ender Kenny, who is about to not be the Irish Taoiseach anymore, but he still is for a few more days, he has warned that this alliance is going to put the peace process at risk. And it does all feel pretty irresponsible from Theresa May and her government, and almost as though they're just charging through this, only thinking of boosting their own power while ignoring all the consequences. But hey, they're not the sorts to do that sort of thing, are they? Nah. Brexit Fallout! Brexit Fallout! Brexit Fallout! Oh, in case you'd forgotten, there is still Brexit. Always, always Brexit, forever Brexit, looming over us like a dark cloud in the shape of Michael Gove pissing on the UK. Brexit negotiations are meant to start on Monday the 19th. Yes, just seven days away. Our Prime Minister is meant to begin negotiating with 27 EU countries about the best deal for us, while she might not even have a clue what her own government is doing. Have you ever turned up to work and realised you've only shaved half your face or your skirt is tucked into your knickers? This is that, but for an entire nation. The Brexit negotiations won't actually start until the UK government is formed, but that's also not necessarily a good thing, as it just means we're wasting time. Donald Tusk, who is the EU Commission President and Chief Brexit Negotiator, tweeted on Friday that we don't know when the Brexit talks start, but we know when they must end. Yeah, in two years. In two years, we'll have left the European Union, and there's every chance no one will notice, as we'll be too busy screaming at Theresa May as to why on earth she hasn't sorted out the Queen's speech yet. The incredible thing is that only last week Theresa May said she couldn't attend a leadership election debate because she was too busy with important Brexit details. Brexit details that are obviously so important she thought she'd waste seven valuable weeks she could have been doing them with having a snap election instead that resulted in her having less of a mandate than before. Though it does look a bit like Jean-Claude Juncker, head of the EU, persuaded May to have a snap election. And while there's part of me that wonders if that's because they knew how shambolically hollow she is and just how funny it would be when it all fucked up, I think it's actually because had the Conservatives gained a majority, we might finally have a clear picture on what sort of Brexit they want, even if it's one that we don't. 
Now, however, things may be even easier for the EU, as David Davis, the Secretary of State for Department of Exiting the European Union, and genetic cross between a myxomatosis diseased rabbit and a bollard, he said that the mandate for a hard Brexit has now gone. And personally, I think that's great. That means we might stay in the single market. We might stay in the customs union, keep freedom of movement and generally do absolutely everything before. Only now, of course, we have to pay a lot more money for it and have absolutely no say, making Brexit entirely pointless. And you wonder why we did it in the first place. Though it would save us a ton of money and time that would have been spent hiring extra civil servants to go through laws and legislation for about 10 years. So overall, I think it's probably the best option we have. But that isn't what David Davis wanted, of course, and it isn't what a lot of his team wanted. They all wanted a hard Brexit. Though, to be fair, David Davis is the sort of person who told you he was arranging a surprise party for you, even though you didn't want one, and now he's ruined the surprise. Then he'd forget to invite anyone and blame you for not having your birthday on a different date altogether. Ruth Davidson and the Scottish Conservatives don't want a hard Brexit. The DUP, if the Conservatives do ally with them, well, they want a soft border with the Republic of Ireland, which would kind of require a soft Brexit. The SNP are putting pressure on for a soft Brexit. And while Labour keeps saying they back scrapping freedom of movement, I can't help but wonder if they did that for more votes. And I hope that they'd also back the idea of a soft, squishy, fluffy Brexit instead. A Brexit, if you like, or a Brexit. Anyway, if that is the case, then the Conservatives no longer have any sort of majority to defend against that. And my only concern is that with a soft Brexit, does that mean we'll have to spend more money on more soldiers to dip in it, and won't that just make everything worse right now? And lastly, where does all this leave Labour? Well, Corbyn looked very content on the Marsh show on Sunday. When asked why he was smiling, he replied that it was a nice sunny day, and when asked if he was staying on for the long term, he replied, look at me, I've got youth on my side which was a comment about the large amount of young people that voted for his party rather than about the supple skin on his medial aspect. Corbyn's office have stated that there have been 25,000 more Labour members joined since June the 8th and not 150,000 as was regularly tweeted by lots of supporters, which was either a typo or they'd signed up a beekeepers union who included all their workers in it when no one was looking. Corbyn is insisting that he's preparing an alternative Queen's speech in case May's government plans fail. And while I mainly hope it's just various verses of the Sex Pistols for her to read out, or, you know, just a speech by Edward Snowden, this is an unlikely scenario. Labour got 262 seats and they'd need 323 for a majority, so even joining with the SNP, Greens, Lib Dems and Plaid Cymru, they'd still be nine short. Sinn Féin won't ever take up their Parliament seats, which would add another seven, but still be short of the overall 3-2-3. And the Lib Dems have already said they won't enter another coalition anyway, as after they were hurt so bad in their last relationship, they just need time by themselves to have a few casual collaborations before they work out what they want to do with their lives. Also, there's no guarantee the SNP, Plaid Cymru or Greens would want to collaborate anyway, and there's no way Labour would seek union with the DUP like the Conservatives have. It's all about who wants to play with who. Personally, I'm hoping that something will collapse between the Conservatives and the DUP and we end up with a Lab Green, SNP, Lib Dem and Grime artist collabo that occasionally involves Skepta in the House of Commons telling Theresa May she got shut down. But Corbyn now has a mandate in his own party, even though some members of the PLP still don't seem particularly happy about it. Under him and his manifesto, though, and based on last week's election, Labour are now more popular than they were under the last two leaders, so trying to oust him now would be stupid. There's been several commentators saying that under a different Labour leader they might have won, but under a different Labour leader they might not have had a snap election. And would the youth have been so persuaded to go out and vote for someone who didn't bring a manifesto that actually benefited them and maybe didn't grow such large courgettes? But now the trick is for Labour to play this properly. Block the Tories when they can, keep their manifesto ideas at a level that pleases more than alienates people who unnecessarily fear that everyone will be forced into Marxist ideals and get equal pay and awful things like that. Keep young people incensed with ideas that would actually work for them, 
And generally, Labour just have to make sure that all the party infighting is now done and they need to do a shitload of outfighting instead. I really think the positivity angle of the Labour campaign was a big winner. It's something I personally really liked about it, and I would like to see a lot more of that, if possible, across all the parties. You know, just everyone having manifestos entitled, hey, we hope you like this, and please let us know if you don't, but let us know what day it's okay to call you back if that's the case, and then we'll lend you that book we were telling you about to manifesto. You know, stuff like that. Be lovely, wouldn't it? Right, that is it for this week's show. Uh, the podcast should hopefully be back to normal standards next week. Uh, again, there was no time for Trump, which is the title of my new children's book. And there'll be guests again as of next week and probably a partly big question again too. So check the Twitter and Facebook on Sunday for that. As always, if you have anything you'd like to say about the podcast, anything or anyone you recommend I talk to or talk about on the show, then please contact me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com, the at Palpolbro Twitter, or the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group. Or you could encode it backwards into a shit jingle by an MP, and then when I play it in reverse while trying to make a dubstep remix of it, I'll hear your message. Yeah, I genuinely spent two hours trying to do that with the Conservative MP Greg Knight's campaign jingle, but it was too shit to remix, which is the title of my other new children's book. If you want to donate, then please do that by the Kofi ko-fi.com page or the Patreon page. And please give this show a review on iTunes or Stitcher as well. Big, big thanks to Acast, as always, for hosting the show, uh, to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all the music, and Theresa May for genuinely making me laugh more than I have in some time with her Darwin Award-winning cock-ups. I am still laughing about last week's proof that karma might actually exist, but there is shit tons of work still to do, and I'm not out of a job yet, so this will be back next week, when no doubt the Queen will be reading a speech made up of demands about how children should be taught that dinosaur bones are just God's Lego or something. Bye. This week's show was brought to you by this noise the crowd made when Will read out the exit polls on our live show on June the 8th. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 